This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Google has dropped out of the bidding for a $10 billion cloud computing contract for the Pentagon. The company also announced it's not renewing its artificial intelligence program with the military. The tech giant was pushed to these decisions by its own employees, partly. Over 4,000 workers signed a petition saying they wanted assurances that neither the company nor its contractors would develop warfare technology. It is the latest example of tech workers wanting to know what the projects they work on are being used for and pushing back against their employers on ethical uh, ethical grounds. Julian Jonker is an assistant professor of legal studies and business ethics here at the Wharton School. He joins us uh, now to discuss this. And also with us on the phone is Dipayan Ghosh, who is a fellow at the Shorenstein Center for Media, Politics, and Public Policy at the Harvard Kennedy School, as well as a former technology and public policy advisor in the Obama administration. Julian, nice meeting you. Thanks for coming in. Hi, Don. It's good to be here. Dipayan, great to have you with us today. Thank you, sir. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. So how much concern do you have uh, that tech companies are, to a degree, overstepping their boundaries? Dupont? Yeah, well, you know, I think that uh, that this is absolutely concerning. Um, the, the thing is that these companies, Google, Facebook, Amazon, some of the ones that have been most recently connected with some really difficult decisions that they've made that could implicate national security in the U.S. and other uh, public interest issues are always caught up in this really difficult trade-off. They, they want to go after profits. They want to go after growth. They know that their competitors are going to do it if they don't. And that's, that's really the, uh, the, the trade-off for them here. Julian? And oh. for the most part, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Finish up. I was just going to say, for, for the most part, we've seen that some of these big companies have really decided to go after the profit instead of, uh, instead of maintain the public interest, in a, in a sense. And I think things are, are slowly changing as employees see that they have power, too. Julian? So, Dan, I... Back against these kinds of things. Yeah, I, I agree with everything Dipayan says. Dan, I want to... Uh, add to that, I think, two important issues. Why we might think is a tech companies that are facing these kinds of challenges from their employees, are they in particular overstepping the line? I think on the one hand, we need to look at the fact that the kinds of technology that are being rolled out by Google, Facebook, Amazon, etc., are very wide-ranging, almost infrastructural types of technology. So sure. they have a wide range of applications. And frankly, we don't know exactly what kinds of applications or what kinds of consequences they might have. So I think that leads to the kinds of concerns that that we see employees having raised. The second issue to add to that is that these are companies that have started off with very idealistic views of their place in the world. So remember, Google's motto, don't be evil. And so I think now as they mature and become larger, there are um, uh, special concerns that are being raised about whether they're maintaining that vision. So I guess the question for a lot of these companies is, is where are they heading? Because, as you alluded to, uh, Julian, the, the the level of innovation that they are trying to bring forth is transformative. We know that it is going to play an exceptional role in where our country and other countries are going to be going over the next 40 or 50 years. 
but again, they are publicly traded companies, and to a degree, they have to answer to the shareholders and to the profit loss statement, which may be the, the, the problem in this process. I think that's right. I mean, the traditional view of the company is that managers are answerable to the shareholders alone. Perhaps they're cabined in that by their legal requirements, but ultimately their primary responsible is to shareholders. A more expansive view taken by some business ethicists is that they are also partly responsible to other stakeholders and employees yeah. are included. And I think we're moving in the direction of um, taking into account those other stakeholders. So uh, if you look at Elizabeth Warren's recent bill, the uh, Accountable Capitalism Act, and people are increasingly looking to, for example, the German co-determination model. So there are interesting questions that are being raised about whether um, others' viewpoints should be taken into, into account. But I do think um, the technology companies are a special case, as it were, because they play this very interesting role, because we essentially don't know what the consequences of some of these technologies will be. One of the issues raised in the case of, I think it's Project Maven, which is the use of artificial intelligence by the defense force, is just whether we want to unleash autonomous weapons upon the world. How much of a concern, uh, Depan, has this been for a lot of these companies? I mean, have they recognized this, this kind of balancing act that they're having to deal with right now? I think that they're always facing it. Uh, when people like Mark Zuckerberg and, and Sheryl Sandberg and Sundar Pichai uh, go up to, uh, to to Washington, to, to Capitol Hill, to testify. Uh, what they're really trying to convey is that they have the have the tremendous, tremendously difficult to navigate trade-off that, that Julian is describing. Where, uh, on one hand, they are committed and compelled by law, uh, you could argue, to uh, to to tackle the greatest growth opportunities. And many of those greatest growth opportunities uh, butt up right against uh, what we might conceive of as, as human rights concerns or public interest concerns or national security concerns. And uh, currently there's, there's not really much oversight over this industry. Currently there's uh, kind of a regulatory wild west that, uh, that applies to it, at least in the United States. And uh, that's exactly what Congress is, is, I think, looking to address. So uh, you, you mentioned the, the Warren bill. Uh, there's a lot of movement uh, as well in, in other offices as well amongst other uh, congressmen and women. And I think it's just a matter of time until we, we see a more comprehensive regulatory regime that tries to bring, uh, bring power back into the hand of the consumer and uh, try to balance this, this act between consumer, government, an industry into a into a new type of social contract that can uh, that, that can really uh, take some of the onus and responsibility for making these tough decisions off of the industry uh, and shift it over to government and to civil society and other public interest oriented uh, organizations. So then, do you expect that we are going to see in the relatively near future some level of regulation on these companies? And if so, how how far would it go? Well, we're already seeing it. We're we're seeing it, of course, in Europe with uh, sure. with its GDPR, which was very much prompted by the Snowden disclosures and other privacy breaches over time. Uh, we've seen it in the United States with California passing its own version of a. They're calling it the Californian GDPR. 
Um, these are these are both the California law is a, is a pretty stringent thing that would go into effect in January 2020, which brings GDPR protections to California residents. In other words, uh, meaningful consent and the right to delete and the uh, several other uh, key rights around privacy. Um, we're, we're seeing a lot of movement, and other states are acting now as well, uh, like Vermont and Illinois. And, and what that is going to force and what it already is forcing is actually a national discussion in Washington about, okay, now, now we have all these states acting. Uh, we, the industry, as well as we, the consumers, we don't want this, this patchwork of, uh, of regulation. Uh, is there a way that we can preempt uh, all of these state laws that, that create an uneven uh, surface? Uh, for companies like Facebook or, or Google or, or any tech company? And is there a way that we can uh, nationalize a law that's, that's fair to the consumer, fair to the industry, uh, and, um, and can actually protect uh, the public interest, including uh, with our elections and with our privacy and with um, the, the safety and security of people who use online platforms? Because having uh, 50 different sets of regulations would probably be too challenging to try and have to deal with for all of these uh, companies like Facebook and Google. I, I mentioned with GDPR, it's probably a challenge for them dealing with the standards that Europe now expects and, and California as well in comparison to what the rest of the United States has, at least for now, correct? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh Julian may have uh, uh, additional thoughts on this, but, but GDPR is tremendously stringent on the companies, and, and they've had to bend to the will of, uh, of this uh, novel regulation. Uh, and uh, I think Europe was, was only trying to uh, figure out a way to, to put rights back in the hands of the citizens in the face of an industry that has grown up in a largely unregulated space and uh, treaded on um, public interest concerns. Uh, and, and now what we're seeing is that they are these regulations could uh, fundamentally change the, the business models behind these companies. Of course, these business models are based on digital advertising and more specifically targeted advertising, which is based on the creation of behavioral data profiles, which is exactly what is implicated by GDPR. Um, and I think we're going to see some big impacts over time the way that the consumer internet works from Facebook to Google to beyond. I think that's right. I think one of the interesting consequences of the GDPR is that we're seeing uh, almost uh, the beginning of uh, fragmentation of uh, the Internet. So your experience online is quite different when you travel to Europe. And in fact, the results that Google will serve you are dependent not just upon who you are, but your geographical location. I don't think that we want to see that across the 50 different states. It would be nice to um, have a, a, a unified Internet experience. Um, but just to bring this back to the issue about employees, I do think that, as Depayan points out, it's important that we move towards a state of affairs in which civil society actors have some sort of input into the regulation of the Internet and other technology. Because uh, the employees at Google and other places like Microsoft who've been able to petition and raise concerns, um, it's, it's laudable that they're able to do that. But we must keep in mind that they are already a very limited 
limited section mm-hmm. of potential stakeholders. They're first of all not all of the all, all of the employees. Many of these companies employ uh, kind of at arm's length uh, contractors in places like the Philippines, and you can be sure that those um, employees uh, will not be able to sign a petition. And even if all employees were able to represent themselves and raise concerns like this, that wouldn't uh, reflect the concerns of the public at large necessarily. But to a degree, don't the the employees that work at some of these companies, don't they, they almost have two paths to be able to do this? One, obviously, as we said, with some of the petitions that have been brought forward to the companies, but two, as citizens... They have the ability to take to go to their local representative and be able to say, hey, listen, this is what's going on. We need to change this. So uh, there are a couple of different ways that that these employees uh, of these companies can can actually go. I think that's right. And I think that's a, a very interesting point because we're beginning to see more engineer advocate to someone like Tristan Harris, who's a former Facebook employee, who's talking out more and more about the effects of some of these technologies on our attention. Um, so I think some people are beginning to speak out outside of the companies. And I, again, I think that's uh, an effective uh, route. But it is also, I think, very effective for employees who are actually working on these projects, who have direct knowledge um, of what's going on within uh, the companies, and also who have some measure of power. Let's not forget that the market for tech talent is an incredibly hot market. Yeah. These are very, very scarce talent. And so uh, there's a measure of invulnerability that a top engineer at a place like Google has because then uh, Google knows that they could go on to one of the other giants or go out on their own project. But does it also flip as well the other way around because uh, of the fact that the company realizes that there probably are other people out there that they could get if somebody is voicing their displeasure so much, they can almost let that person go and be able to try and find another person to be able to fill that because the market is so fruitful right now. Perhaps, but I, but I really think it's a, um, it, it, it's a, it's a buyer's market to, in terms okay. of buyers of employment. Um, when it comes especially to machine learning, you know, this might change over the years, but at the moment it's very difficult to find top talent. And these companies are not just vying for people who are able to engage with these technologies. They're searching for the best and the most creative. And, and, and the, the, the most creative engineers are ones who are also really going to care about these issues mm-hmm. and who are going to want some measure of autonomy and some degree of participation in, in decision-making. Now, here, here's the question that uh, Depayan that I have, is that in one of the cases where a, um, uh, where a petition was brought forward, there were, I believe, like 5,000 signatures on the on the uh, on the petition. Yet, and, and I believe it was with Microsoft. There were only 500 Microsoft employees on that petition, so the 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 majority of the signatures were not by employees of the company. So that throws a little bit of a of a twist into this, I think, as well. Absolutely, it signals that there's a there's a tremendous public interest in some of the uh, types of decisions that these types of companies make. For example, Google entering China with a censored product or Google working with uh, the Department of Defense on a secret project. Uh, those kinds of things implicate not only the employees who, who, may, uh, who may, may or may not want to work on such issues or, or work for an organization that, that uh, is okay with doing that, but they, they of course also implicate the public. And so we are, as Julian says, we are seeing employees have more and more power. And I think they kind of slowly realize this, that 
um, you know, as as Facebook and Google and Microsoft and Amazon have have taken over the world with their products and services, um, the employees have grown with them. The employee these these are people that that make a lot of money, who have a lot of equity, uh, and who uh, people would listen to if they were to leave the company, for example. Um, and I, I think that they are starting to realize that yes, we have leverage here, and. Uh, we're, if, if we're not okay with this, we have the right to speak up about it, and senior leadership is going to have to listen to us. Now, the question is whether or not senior leadership is really going to listen, um, and I think that that has to be assessed on a one-off basis. For example, with Google and China, even after the petition, uh, the, uh, the the CEO Sundar Pichai uh, did not uh, did not really appear to respond to it meaningfully. Uh, that is to say, he, he seemed to just suggest that uh, we Google uh, are are not really sure what we're doing yet. Uh, but he didn't he didn't deny the plans. He didn't affirm the plans. Uh, he didn't really say anything about them. You're listening to Knowledge of Wharton here on Sirius XM 132 Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Uh, we are talking about the issues surrounding tech workers and some of the issues they have with maybe some of the projects their companies are working on. Julian Yonker uh, who's an assistant professor of legal studies and business ethics here at the Wharton School, joining me in studio and uh, joined on the phone by Depayan Ghosh, who is a fellow at the uh, Shorenstein Center on Media, Politics, and Public Policy at the Harvard Kennedy School. Uh, I, I guess then the question is, what role does the company, Depayan, have in the end to to listen to the concerns of their employees? In your thoughts? Well, it's it's just like anything else. This is a this is a this can all be boiled down to a game theory uh, question of. Okay, as as the company, as the CEO, as Sundar Pichai, what are all the considerations I have? I have I have a consideration I have to pay attention to uh, regarding public outcries over decisions I make. I have considerations from stakeholders, shareholders. Uh, I have considerations uh, relating to uh, my employees. I, I generally want to keep them happy, but I might be okay with uh, over over uh, foregoing any any interest particular interest they might have. These are all equities. These are all considerations that the leadership has. And, and I think what, what the industry is trying to do, not just Google, but, but all of these companies, I think what they're, they're essentially trying to do is balance all of that um, for, the, for the long-term benefit of the company. And so that's why we haven't seen Google say anything about its plans in China in, in an affirmative way. We haven't seen Facebook say anything about China either. We haven't um, we, we haven't really heard any kind of plan ab- about any of this either way. And it's, it's because they're, they're all kind of weighing up all of these concerns and considerations and are going to do the thing that is best for their shareholders in the absence, in the continued absence, assuming there is a con- continued absence of a, of a uh, regulatory regime that says otherwise. Uh, they're going to they're gonna do what's in their shareholders' interest uh, at the end of the day. Yeah, Dan, if I can add to that, that I mean, um, 
probably Dipayan is right. Uh, it's uh, maybe a, a, a cynical view that that is what they ultimately do, but probably also the realistic view. Um, but again, these companies started out, I think, relatively idealistically. And there's a way in which ethical considerations go together with some prudential considerations. So again, if these, mark, if these companies wish to continue to attract the top talent, then it is in their interests to show that they are willing to listen to employees and willing to give them some measure of participation um, and, and, and willing to continue to work on idealistic projects and that, that might well change. As far as just the ethical question is concerned, should companies like these listen to their employees? I think first of all, the main ethical imperative here is that they should do the right thing. So yeah. if there is a project which is um, a, a, a morally tainted project for example, um, setting up the databases that will help uh, a government agency separate children from their parents, then right. I think it's simply the wrong thing for the uh, company to do to be involved in that, even if it turns out to be something profitable. Now, there are obviously some more marginal cases. So, for example, I think the Project Maven question is actually a really vexed ethical issue. Is it good or bad for the Defense Force to have artificially uh, intelligent drones? Yeah. Might that, in fact, help reduce civilian deaths? Um, I think there's, there's, there's really a debate to be had there. Um, should a company like Google uh, listen? Does it have an ethical obligation to engage with its employees about that? I think that there are strong moral reasons for it to do so. But, but, not but having companies, I guess, to a degree, shouldn't they have that expectation that they should be listening to their employees? Because and when you think of the structure of a company, especially over the last decade or so, how companies view the, the working process within the day-to-day -day operations, open you know, open settings for their work, more conversation between employees, more conversation between employees and executives as well. It's almost like the companies that, that kind of change the way how the office is going to be viewed and how it's going to be structured really are, you know, should have this expectation. I think that's exactly right. And that's why a lot of the Silicon Valley campuses have been so applauded because they seem to have a very different way of working. They seem to have a much flatter organizational structure. Um, of course, there's a, you know, I was at a conference recently where um, uh, Peter Fleischer, who's the privacy counsel for Google, was talking. And he was talking about the fact that they really value these rich internal debates. Mm -hmm. And the recent ones about Project Maven were kind of unusual only because they're caught in the eye of the press. But this is the sort of thing that happens at Google all the time. Now, I think that's great. That reflects the kind of organizational culture that a Google is trying to build. But of course, there's a difference between allowing internal debate and being actually responsive to that sure. internal debate. So yeah. the concern here is that there might be the debate, but there might be no responsiveness. And I think then there's a loss. And I think, um, again, uh, the top talents will easily see through that and prefer maybe to work on their own. Remember, the competition um, uh, for employees is not, say, Facebook or Apple, but ultimately startups that uh, someone, uh, someone coming out of a PhD might well prefer to go out on their own and have more autonomy and more control over the sort of project that they work on. To pay in a final comment, about 30 seconds if you like. Sure. Uh, I think that we're in, a, we're in a space now where these companies are, are really uh, on the hook. Um, Regulation is coming, and these, these, this whole industry is going to have to figure out a way to socialize the ideas that, uh, that it has and to uh, make decisions that are a little bit more in the public interest. And that's where I think this, this whole conversation is going.
Right. Um, I think that uh, I think they're going to have to start to think more about what's in it for the world. Um, and if they don't, then uh, other other people are going to step in and decide for them. Depan, thank you very much for coming on today. Greatly appreciate your time. Thanks so much for having me, Dan. Thank you, Julian. Great meeting you. Thank you for coming in as well. It was a pleasure to be here. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.